Well, guys, thanks for having me. It's good to be here with you. Um, I love your pastor. Consider him a fast friend now. I've just known him for a little while. I actually met him through Mike Mayo. You guys all know who he is, right? Yeah, Pastor Mike out there, he's a pretty good guy, I guess. Uh, But he introduced us a few months ago and um, just have nothing but respect for your pastor and your church. And so to let you guys know a little bit about me um, up front, I'm, I'm kind of a sentimental guy, okay? I'm, I'm not a fisherman, a hunter. I don't uh, work on trucks. I can't even change my own oil, to be perfectly honest with you. I know it's horrible to admit, but uh, I'm pretty sentimental. I love my family, and uh, all of that led me to this weekend as I was staying the night at the Calvary Chapel Conference Center. Um, I was on my laptop in the middle of the night, and I ended up just going through all of these family photos that I have on there. I probably have 2,500 pictures of uh, my wife and our, our two-month-old son, Ryle Dietrich, and our daughter, Bennett Abigail. She's three and a half years old, and I'm looking at their pictures, and I'm watching all of our family videos, and I was just stirred afresh with, with love for them and reminded all over again as I looked at, I'm looking at all these pictures of our good experiences we've had, sometimes hard experiences, and I'm just reminded of the role that we play in one another's lives, and I just was stirred afresh with passion for them reminded why I, I want to serve and love my wife as her husband, why I want to serve and love my kids as their father. And I think it's important for, for us from time to time to do the very same thing with God, to go back and reflect and remember where we were when Jesus found us. Anybody excited that Jesus found you and saved you in here? Like, yeah, it's good news, right? Amen to that. And I think sometimes something that will help us stay fresh in our devotion and our love for the Lord is to go back and remember where we were when Christ found us and remember, even more importantly, the changes that he's brought in our life through the things that he's taken us through so that we never forget how valuable and important Jesus and his gospel are. And that's really what I think is going on in Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, he's actually preaching the gospel to to Christians here. Isn't that kind of a funny thing? Mostly we, we think of preaching the gospel as something you do evangelistically to non-Christians. But here Paul is preaching the gospel, I think more devotionally to Christians. And really this section, it's part of a prayer that Paul is praying on behalf of the church in the first century and the church today that, that began in chapter one. He's praying that we would wake up to how graced we are, how, how gifted we are, and how, much, how loved we are by God. And it's as as explicitly expressed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what I'm hoping for us today. Maybe you're somewhat disillusioned right now. You've been grinding it out in the Christian life. And I'm just hoping that the Holy Spirit will stir you up and remind you of why it's all worth it. And Jesus is worth it. And the hard things are worth it. And for those of you that are serving strong, I'm hoping you'll just be encouraged to keep going, knowing that your God is worth all the pain, sweat, and tears. So does that sound good? Let's start in uh, verse, verse 1. Paul the Apostle begins. You can put your name in this first verse. He says, In you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also... We all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now, I I know that those are the warm, feely, touchy, lovey verses you were all hoping we were going to study this morning, aren't they? You're like, yes, I'm spiritually dead. Awesome. Amen. Right? 
Well, Paul starts out with the bad news first, doesn't he? As he's starting to explain the gospel to us. And that's not without good reason. Because the truth is, until we remember and are deeply aware of how bad we have it in life without Christ, we won't understand how good we have it with him, will we? And so he starts in this heavy place. And we're going to spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes digging into the dark side of all of this. But again, the hope is that we get to the light and we get to the grace and we see the refreshing uh, reality of the grace of God in our lives. And so the first thing, in essence, that Paul is reminding us about in these verses is that without Jesus, we're spiritually dead. We're spiritually dead. That's where every single one of us that are a Christian today were at when Jesus came and found us. We were spiritually dead. We were in a grave and he had to come and raise us up and give us new life. And I think it could accurately be said, according to these verses, that we were kind of the spiritual undead. Don't you think? I mean, he says you're dead, but he says you're walking around, you're living life in accordance with the prince of the power of the air and all this stuff. And so it's almost like he's calling us spiritual zombies in a way, you know, and I know that not everybody relates to zombies and honestly, I don't either, but it's the best illustration I got. So there you go. Anyway, um, I kind of a funny thing. At my church back in Ogden, Utah, we have a lot of college kids, you know, and I can't quite figure out why, but it's really trendy with them to be into zombies. Is that going on at all in your guys' lives? Anyone just like zombies rock? Well, I don't get it either, but for better or for worse, they're all into, you know, movies like Zombieland and Shaun of the Dead, and they listen to The Devil Wears Prado, which apparently did a whole album that's like a concept album about zombies and all of this stuff, and, and then, like, there's the more kind of concerning side where you have guys that are, like, 35, and they live in their mom's basement, and they're writing manuals on how to survive the coming zombie apocalypse. You guys ever seen that online? Like, that's, that's for real. I dare you to go and Google it, and you might not sleep that night, but it's happening. Okay. And so this, but reality is what the, what the apostles telling us is the whole world. Everyone who's not born again right now today is really a member of a spiritually undead race of people. And they need the life of God to come into to, to come to them through the gospel. And so to convince us of this, and again, remember, we're talking about where we were. This is us church apart from Jesus Christ apart from his grace. And so Paul gives us a few signs of our former spiritual deadness. We're going to take a look at these real quick. First of all, in verse 1, if you look there, he, said, he reminds us that before Jesus saved us, our lives were characterized by our trespasses and sins. And these are two, two versions of sins, really. Uh, sins in, in general, and the way the term is used here, it's, a, it's kind of a junk drawer term for all the ways we just fail and mess up in general. Kind of think of it as like sinning by accident. But a trespass is where we specifically, we know that an action is wrong and we go ahead and do the action anyway. Any of you guys ever do stuff like that? Don't lie. Come on. We all, we all do it, don't we? And I know that's been a part of my life since I had life. You know, when I was like five, six, or seven years old, I went and I spent the night at a friend's house and uh, this friend had the coolest Chuck Norris action figure I'd ever seen in my life, okay? And this is way before the Walker, Texas mullet ranger guy happened. This is like Chuck Norris in the Delta Force days and the fighting Bruce Lee days, okay? Any, any fans of that Chuck Norris at all? Yeah, there's like four of you. All right, let's do it. Okay, so I wanted this action figure. And so I determined even as like a five, six, seven-year-old in my, my righteous little heart that I was going to steal it. 
And more than that, I decided I'm going to make up a big story to tell my mom because I know that she's not going to know, you know, she, she's going to know she didn't buy this thing for me. And so I went ahead and I stole it like any good five-year-old would do. And I took it home. And when my mom asked me where I got it, I proceeded to tell her this big lie about how, well, you know, I was in, in dad's garage. I don't know how, you know, unbeknownst to you, apparently. I went into dad's garage and I was playing in there and I bent down to tie my shoe. And, and out of the corner of my eye, under this scary big spider web there it was, the Chuck Norris action figure shining like an idol that had been lost to the sands of time. And, and I rescued it and I, and I gave it a home. And so I've got, I don't know why I, my mind was that crazy. I think I had just seen Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom for the first time or something like that. But nonetheless, this is a lie I told her. And that's a trespass, isn't it? That's what it means. I knew, I knew it was wrong even back then. But I went ahead and I did it anyway, and I made a lie to cover my a lie to cover my tracks. And what Paul is telling us is, even from a very young age, we have a propensity in our hearts because of our spiritual condition to do those kinds of things. And I'm sure you could all tell me a lot of stories about strange little funky lies that you told your parents and stuff from a young age. Why? Because we're spiritually dead. That's what he's saying. It's part of that manifestation of our condition. So let's move on. In verse 2, he tells us additionally that when we were without Jesus in our lives, we also walked according to the course of this world. And when he uses the term the course of this world, the course of this world is where individuals and society inevitably go when they operate without reference to God and his word, okay? It's where we end up when we, as people, determine what's moral or not, And we do so without consulting God and without consulting his word. That gets us into all sorts of messed up situations, doesn't it? And we see a lot of examples of where this takes us. And we're now in post-Christian America. You guys realize that? Like post-Christian America, post-Christian Europe, uh, every year fewer and fewer people are professing Christ as, as their Savior. Not, not in the sense of people becoming born again, but just surveys. People don't self-identify as Christians as much as they used to in our culture. And so a lot of the places that uh, operating this way has taken us, we're redefining basically everything under the sun that God has been very clear about in his word. You guys see that in culture anywhere? I mean, I know that you guys know down here in Southern California, we're working real hard to redefine things like marriage, aren't we? And we're working really hard to redefine things, even like gender. Even in my little um, conservative, Republican, Christian mecca of uh, Utah, we're even trying to redefine gender there. And uh, just recently, I read an, an article where a, a piece of legislation came through uh, Capitol Hill, where we're at, and in an argument, big discussion came about because of this little disclaimer that was included in it that we've all read a million times. It says, we do not discriminate based on race, based on creed, based on gender or sex, right? You guys have read that, haven't you? And so what happened is somebody came and said, you know, we really want to take gender out of there because that might get us into trouble because today it isn't your biology or your anatomy that determines your gender, it's your emotions. And so if I feel like, you know, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, then all of you just need to accept that and let me be a woman and I can use the women's restroom and I can do whatever I want to do in society. And this is a real thing that, that people are discussing. What, how do we get there? We're defining morality. We're defining the humanity without consulting God and his word. Another kind of scary example that I saw of this recently 
was uh, in, in how we're, we're trying to redefine what it means to be human and the value of human life. And recently, the Journal of Medical Ethics uh, put out a paper online where they were contending for what they call post-birth abortion. Okay, that most of us with a biblical worldview would just call that what it is, and we'd say it's infanticide. And the argument that they're making, and these are people from Oxford, supposed to be the, the highest, most respected medical experts we know. And what they're telling us is that a newborn infant is morally irrelevant because it can't attribute any worth to, or, or any value to its own existence. And so therefore they are kill eligible. And so what that means is if I go to my two-month-old son, Ryle Dietrich, and I tell him, hey dude, I am going to kill you if you don't stop your crying right now. What's he going to do? He's, he's not going to feel fear. He's not going to, you know, be scared or anything he, because he doesn't understand what I'm saying. And they would say, see, he's not even going to know anything's missing. And so he's morally irrelevant. And they're arguing that we should be able to kill newborn infants for any reason that we would abort an unborn baby. And in their defense, they're really just being consistent because what's the difference with killing it on the inside and killing it on the outside, Right. But how do we get here? We start defining morality. We start defining humanity without reference to God and his word. And what Paul is telling us about our formal spiritual condition, the place we were at when Jesus found us, is he's telling us that it's natural for us when we don't have Christ in our life to just accept consensus about things like this. Even if we, we don't get to these kinds of extreme things right away, it's, it's a progression and step-by-step Without Jesus in our life, we find ourselves going with the flow and saying, well, don't, of, of course, everybody knows this. This is what I learned in college. What are you, some archaic Bible thumper, you know? And we just go that way. Why? Because we're spiritually dead. And when a culture is made up of spiritually dead people, these things start to be accepted as the norm as they are more and more because we have a depraved culture. And so, isn't this awesome? This is the encouragement you were looking for today, isn't it? Let's move on. In addition to that, in verse 2, he, he reminds us that before Jesus saved us, we lived our lives in accordance with the spirit of the prince of the power of the air. And the spirit, wow. You guys got aliens around here? I'll just talk really loud. Okay. Uh, the spirit of the prince of the power of the air is Satan. Okay. And so what the apostles not saying is that all non-Christians are possessed by the devil. All right. One of the reasons we know that that's not true is because unlike God, Satan is not omnipresent. So he can't be in more places than, than one at, at a time. All right. And so that's one reason all the, the non-Christians in the world can't be possessed. But what he's saying is we live our lives in accord with Satan saying we're linked up arm in arm. It's it, simply, he's saying that when you don't know Jesus and you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you actually actually live a lot more like Satan than you do Jesus, don't you? And even if it's just at the level of thought and emotion and desire, we're much more consistent with Satan in his heart than we are with the heart of God. We have the fantasy land going on. We got malice and, and we have uh, lies and hatred and deceit in our hearts. And he's saying, well, that's, yeah, you're walking in accord with Satan. And later on in, this, in, in these verses that we read, it says we're all sons of disobedience. And this is one of the reasons he's saying we live in accordance with Satan is because Satan is the original son of disobedience. He, like we do many times, he, you know, he was created as the, the most beautiful and powerful and majestic of all angels. And like we tend to do, as he saw the beauty and the capacity and the greatness that God had created him with, instead of worshiping the giver of the gifts, he began to worship himself and be like, yeah, I am pretty awesome, aren't I? I am pretty amazing. 
And then he stood opposed to God, face to face with God. And he said, I will become like the most high God. What are you going to do about it? And he fell from grace. And then, of course, as the, the story of the Bible moves on, he went to our first human parents and he tricked them with the same lies and the same junk. And he told them, if you'll just step outside of the parameters that God set up in your life that were given not to rob you, but to preserve your spiritual health, your physical health, preserve your relationship with God, preserve your relationship with one another and keep peace in the universe. If you'll just step outside of that, he convinced them to do that. Isn't that amazing? He said, you can become like God. And they believed the lie. And they fell from grace. And they walked in one accord with him. And the truth is, you guys, all of us have been following in the footsteps of our first human parents ever since. You're like, no, I don't. What are you saying? I'm Satan. I'm not calling you Satan. I'm just saying we walk in accord with him. We make a thousand decisions a day where we insist on controlling our lives and being our own God. The poem of Invictus rings forth from our souls. I am the captain of my soul. I chart my own course. The banner of my life is not thy will be done, but it's my will be done. And in that sense, are we not living much more like Satan when we insist on controlling our own fate and destiny? We insist on being our own gods. That's exactly what he did. We walk in accord with the prince of the power of the air, and that's because of a spiritual deadness that exists. Let's move on from there. In verse three, he tells us, he reminds us rather, that before Jesus saved us, we lived our lives obeying the lust of the flesh and of the mind. And to, to live your life obeying the lust of our flesh, that's when what I feel controls. What I feel determines my direction, whether it's right or wrong, and no matter what God says, no matter what godly counsel says. When I'm, I'm living by the flesh of the mind, It's what I think that controls my perspective, my opinion, what seems right to me. And isn't this what we learn? I know it's what I learned growing up in school. You know, you need to figure out what's true for you and these issues of spirituality and these issues of right and wrong. What do you feel about it? What do you think about it? Use your own hand. Go discover who you are. And that's such a deceptive path that takes us to ruin I don't need to discover who I am by intro, you know, introspection and figuring myself out. What I need is the God who made me to tell me who I am. That's when I find my purpose. And maybe some of you here today and you're, you're getting sucked into the enemy's lies. And well, I'm going to just abandon all this Christianity stuff because, you know, I'm going to go find myself. And you are falling victim to the traps of the enemy. And, he's, and God is here pleading with you, don't do that. I am here. I will tell you who you are. You are my perfect and prized possession. You're, you're the object of my grace and my affection. You're created in the image of God. I love you. You have a place in my kingdom. And he would implore you to stop believing the lies of the enemy. Don't go after the lust of the flesh and of the mind. But we do this naturally because we are we are spiritually dead in our, in, our, in our normal condition. And because of all of this, in verse 3, it kind of sums it all up. He says, we all are children of wrath just as the rest. And so this condition, it's not like, well, you know, there's some good guys and then there's some bad guys. He says, we're all children of wrath. We all suffer from this. And it's one of the crazy things in the church, you guys, how we can, we can say we believe the gospel in our own need for grace, and yet we can actually act like there are some sinners out there that are worse than us, you know? It's crazy. We are all on the same level, aren't we? We're all on the same page. We all come equally humbled and needy before the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And this is where he found us. So it's been encouraging so far, right? We're spiritually dead. This is awesome, right? I know, I know we want to move on and we're going to do that now, but it's just, it's, it's fitting for us. Again, we are not going to worship Christ as we should, serve him as we should, repent of sin as we should when it's appropriate. We're not going to do any of that stuff as we should unless we remember where we were when Christ found us. And maybe it's been a long time for some of you since you reviewed, who was I back then? I don't know about you guys. When I think of the person I was before Christ found me, I'm like, I don't even know who that is. That dude is dead. They're gone. And so I would ask you, I believe the Holy Spirit wanted me to ask you guys as a church today, ask this important of your question of yourselves. Who would I be today had Jesus not saved me? Who would you be? Where was the course of this world taking you? I know that for me, I would be either dead or in prison. There is no question about it. The only thing that was preventing me from mailing bombs to people for eating meat, wearing animal products, as a pretty militant animal rights activist, the only thing keeping me from mailing bombs to people was getting up the courage. And I was close when Jesus found me. I was working for the human rights campaign, trying to get sexual orientation put on all the hate crimes bill for all the states. I was vegan and straight edge. You know, that's a gang in Utah. Believe it or not, we are a little violent there. And, uh, but praise the Lord. You know, God came into my life and he saved me and he changed me and he gave me a new heart. Just like he's done for many of you. Just like he wants to do for every single person in this room today. But I just look at that, that kind of question. Who would I be had Christ not come? Had he not rescued me? And it's not a pretty picture, right? But... There's good news now. Let's go to verse four. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together. And he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast for we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen to that? A little better, right? Let's spend some time thinking about this stuff, okay? So the, the, the first point, you guys, just by way of reminder, the summary point of the first few verses is we're spiritually dead without Christ, aren't we? But what he's saying here is with Christ, you are spiritually alive. You are set free. You are forgiven. You have life abundantly. Even when it gets hard, we have a joy that the world cannot take away. That nothing can be that can steal it from us because we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our very Creator, in us and living with us and doing life with us and securing us all the way through the storms of life into eternity in His presence. Anyone else excited about that? Anybody? Yeah, praise the Lord for that. And and so the the first thing I want to draw your attention to here is the first two words of verse four. What does He say? But God, isn't that amazing? Isn't that just yes? But God, we were duped by the enemy. We were spiritually dead. We were enemies of God. We were walking in accordance with the prince of the power of the air. But 
God did something about it. God made a choice. God initiated action. God intervened. And I love that it doesn't say, but you, but you tried really hard, but you got real religious. You started going to church. You quit looking at porn. You put down the bottle. You started being a really good person. And so you're good. That's not what it says. And if it did say that, I know that I personally would be sunk and hopeless. What it says is God. God is the difference. God is the game changer. And our God has a name and it's Jesus Christ, right? And so those two words, but God, they're like the hinges that the whole door of our spiritual deadness swing on to open up all these possibilities that we can enter into life in a different reality. And some of you are here today. I know you need to hear this. You need to see it. You need to believe it. You need to to take this by faith. And believe it and experience it. You need to walk through the door. And the door is Jesus Christ. And he's ready to set you free. He's ready to give you life. And so we're alive in Christ. We'll look at a few things here. First of all, I want us to notice how God felt when we were at our worst. And this is found in verses 4 through 5. There's these three statements. It says that God felt mercy, great love, and grace for us. Isn't that exciting to hear you guys? It's only exciting if you know your, your lost state without Jesus, man. But if you get that, you, you, you understand, I was spiritually dead. Well, how did God feel about that? Well, he agreed. You know, you deserve justice. You deserve judgment. But that's not what his preference is as far as what he brings into your life. And I'm so thankful that wasn't what his preference was when it came to my life. He said, even though you were dead in sins and trespasses, my intention is to bring you mercy, My intention is to pour out my grace. My intention is that you would be showered in my great love. And in now, I see a huge difference between me and God. Anybody else? Like if somebody's sinning against me, if they're committing injustice against me, my first reaction is I want to kneecap you. I want to take you out and club you with my golf clubs, okay? And that's just, that's just the way I am. Somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm like, man, I wish there was a cop right here. I want him to get grilled. Who did that on the way to church, huh? Yeah, that, that's our hearts. We want retribution unless it's from God to us. And we're like, man, come on, give me mercy. Give me help. And praise the Lord, that's his heart. He wants to bring that to our lives. And so he gives us mercy. And in case you haven't thought about that in a while, mercy, when God gives you mercy, he, he withholds deserved judgment from your life. And it's, again, why can he do this? It's because on the cross, Jesus was absorbing the wrath of God we deserve to experience like a sponge absorbs water. He soaked it up so that God could not give us judgment, but give us mercy every day. His mercies are new every morning. Anyone else excited about that? That's good, right? And it's because of Jesus. And so he wants to withhold the judgment we deserve. You know, when I was in uh, ninth grade and I took a Spanish class, and uh, I'm horrible at Spanish, so don't ask me to speak it, okay? But uh, I took a Spanish class, and as a class project, my teacher, Mrs. Anderson, she asked us to draw from sight this Mexican flag that she, it was a really valuable possession to her. She had got it, I think, on her first trip to Mexico as a young girl, and because I was an awesome student, I just sat there and did nothing the entire class period, okay? And so after class, she's, out of the kindness of her heart, she says, you know, Kellen, I'm feeling generous today. And if you'll take this flag home and you'll draw it at home and you bring it back, I'm going to give you full credit. I'm like, all right, sweet, I'll do that. And so like any responsible junior high boy, you know what I did? 
I got home and I lost it as quick as I possibly could, right? I, I misplaced it. I couldn't find it. And, it, you know, much like the Chuck Norris action figure incident, instead of just owning up to it, you know what I did? I lied, right? I started telling her stories. I started saying, well, you know, I went to, uh, with my stepdad out of town on a business trip, but, uh, you know, I, I swear I just forgot I'm going to bring it to you. And, you know, and I'm, my, I'm trying to buy time because I don't want to get in trouble. And so one day I get a call down to the principal's office. And anybody ever experienced that? Like, it's, it's just never good news, you know. And, and especially for me, I was kind of a troubled little knucklehead. But anyway, so I'm going down to the principal's office and come around the corner. And as I'm approaching the office, I see three things. I see our, our school librarian and I see our Spanish teacher and I see the Mexican flag in her hands. And I'm just like, oh, no, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ratted out inside. I'm thinking detention for the rest of my life, a call home. I'm going to be grounded and cleaning the dishes for an eternity. And I'm just getting really nervous about this. And so I go up to her and, and she just said something very simple. She said, Kellen, you lied to me. Don't ever do it again. Go back to class. And I have to tell you, at that moment, I was like, Thank you, God. You know, this, I'm going to live through this. I'm going to make it. It's going to be okay. Why? Because I knew I deserved whatever punishment I got from her. And yet, what did she give me? Mercy. And that's what God wants for us, to give us mercy, not what we deserve, because he has great love for us. And additionally, on the other side, he wants to give us grace, doesn't he? Praise the Lord for that. And grace, hand in hand with mercy, it's not, it's not withholding punishment we deserve. It's giving to us love and gifts and favor that we don't deserve. And so what that'd be like is if my teacher, instead of just you know, uh, saying, well, I'm not going to give you the punishment you deserve, if she would have also said, and you know what I am going to do? I'm going to draw that flag for you. And I'm going to do all the rest of your Spanish homework for the rest of the year. And I'm going to do all the work that's required on your behalf to make sure you get an A. And all you got to do is sit back and receive my kindness. That's the grace of God. And that's what he's done for us in Christ. So praise the Lord for that, right? When we are at our worst, maybe you feel like you're at your worst today. And you're wondering how God feels about you. He is just. He's a just judge. But he wants more than anything to give you mercy, to give you grace, to give you his great love. And that's what we have in Christ. So I hope that's exciting to you like it is to me. Next thing, we're going to look at what God did when we trusted in Christ. His desire to give us mercy, great love, and grace is why he pursued us and and put some person at some point in your life who was there to share the gospel with you. And when you believed, if you're a Christian today, because you're born again through faith in the gospel, this is what became a reality in your life. We see this in verses eight and verse six specifically, but he saved us and he placed us. Look at verse eight. This is the banner of your life, church. I hope this, this, this strikes your heart. He says, by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's a past tense, isn't it? This is already true of you. As, have you just heard that so many millions of times that you're just like, oh, that's cool. Great. I'm saved by grace through faith. And isn't our game on? Right. Or is that still exciting to us? That should be like, man, every time we hear it, yes. I'm so, yes, thank you, God. If we know where we were without Christ. He says, you're saved. Why? Not because you're cool. 
Not because you're holy and righteous and moral and you're a good Christian that tithes a lot and serves a lot. Because of Christ's grace and your simple trust in what he has done. Because of God's grace, we're rescued from ourselves, the penalty of our sins and life without God. Right? So he saved us. He also placed us. This is a pretty cool one to think about. If you look back at verse 6, it says again, past tense, he raised us up together and he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is one of those ones, it's like the training. I'm like, is this hard to get your head around it fully? But do you guys feel like you're sitting in heaven this morning? You're like, yes, this is the best sermon ever. (laughs) Do you feel like you're in heaven this morning? Well, what this says is that in a way, you are. He raised us up with Christ, raised us up spiritually from the dead, and he made us sit together in heaven. Are we sitting together in heaven this morning? Yeah, in a way. And what he's telling us is that because of our faith in the Lord, we are so one with him that from God's perspective, it's as if the final culmination of all this is already done and we are secure in heaven with our Lord. We've already come into the docks safely. It's kind of like, I, I, I don't know how long you guys have been able to uh, reserve your seat at the movies online, but in the hip state of Utah, that's about two weeks old. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, remember back in the day before you could do that? And if you, you know, maybe a big movie came out and you wanted to go, but you're getting off work late and, and uh, you know, you have to have one of your friends go and pay their way in and go in and save you a seat if you definitely want to get in there and you definitely want to experience it. And in a way, that's kind of saying what Christ has done for us. He came from heaven to earth. He lived a perfect life in your place. Isn't that good news, you guys? That doesn't mean outward obedience only. Inwardly, he never, ever sinned at the level of thought, desire, and emotion. And that life is credited to you if you trust in him. I'm excited about that because I got a messed up mind, man. You're like, obviously. But that's credited to us, you know. And and, and we get forgiveness. He, He rose from the dead. You know, he conquered Satan, sin, demons, death, hell. That's all under our feet if we are children of God through Christ. And he ascended into heaven, back from where he came. And because he is there and he so loves us, he says, it's as if you're here with me. And that's just good news for me because sometimes don't you guys just feel like you're not going to make it? Anyone else? Or I'm the only loser here. Like the things I do, I'm like, you are not saved. There's no way. The things I think, things I say, like I am not going to make it. And then God's grace comes back and it reminds me it wasn't about what I was doing anyway. It's about what Jesus has done. It's about what Jesus did. He saved us and he placed us. And lastly, you guys, we're going to think for a minute about why God did all this. To me, it's amazing that God saved us. And and sometimes it just makes me ask the question, why? Why would you do this? There's three things that he says here at the end. The first reason, and this always feels good because none of us are prideful. uh, he, He saved us by his grace to shut our bragging, prideful, religious mouths. Look at verse 9. He says, We are saved by grace, not of works, lest anyone should what? Boast. We are by nature a race of boasters. Even if somebody gives us something that we couldn't afford, we're like, yeah, they gave it to me. That's right. Don't you wish you had it? We're a bunch of boasters, you know? 
And so it is with the grace of God, you know. It's crazy how Christians can look down their religious, hypocritical noses at other sinners that are only as in need of the grace of God as we are. And we do this, you know, uh, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I was raised in the suburbs, all this stuff. And so, but those prostitutes, those homosexuals, oh my God, can they be saved? And Jesus says, well, they're only as savable as you were. You might not be doing the things they're doing outwardly, but you sure are on the inside. And if you, who you are in the heart, you guys, is who you are. It doesn't matter what you say, what you're putting out. Me too. I'm not preaching down at you. This is me. Who I am on the inside, that's who I am. And that's why it's, from God's perspective, I don't care how cleaned up you are on the outside. We are all equally needy of the grace of God. Amen to that? And so nobody will stand in the presence of God in heaven and say, well, of course I'm here. Look at me. It's not going to happen. But a gospel of religion promotes that, doesn't it? Because even if you just had to supply 10%, you're like, yeah, but that's my 10%. Thank you very much. Saved by grace after all I can do. And that's the official statement of the Mormon church where I serve. We're saved by grace. That sounds good. After all I can do. So I can boast in the presence of God in heaven. And so religion produces two things, either pride or despair. It's pride because you think you're keeping the rules and other people aren't. Or it produces despair because no matter what's going on outside, you know what's going on inside. And you know you feel like a failure. You feel the heaviness of your sin. And so the real gospel, the gospel Paul's talking about, the inspiring one, comes in and it humbles the prideful man in the presence of God. And it should. Because one way or the other, every knee is going to bow before Jesus Christ and confess to the glory of God the Father that he is Lord. Some might in this room today think that's not me. I'm a tough guy. You are not tough in the presence of the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he wants grace and mercy, but it's your choice if that's going to come into your life today. And for those of you that might feel crushed and, and despairing, under the, man, I'm just such a failure. The gospel of grace wants to lift your burden and tell you it doesn't matter what was done to you. It doesn't matter what you have done, how ugly, disgusting it might be. It is eclipsed by the grace of God in the cross. It is eclipsed by the sufficiency of the blood of the Lamb of God that was slain and shed for you. It's sufficient. It's done. Isn't that good? It's great. Is, that, is he worthy of our whole lives, you guys? And so it, it's humbling, but it's hopeful. It shuts our bragging, prideful mouths. And secondly, God saved us by his grace to make us trophies of his grace. Look back at verse 10 with me, if you would. He says, we are his workmanship. That word for workmanship, you know what it literally means? It means masterpiece. And I love that. Again, as a broken sinful, weird guy, you know, I'm like, Lord, I'm a masterpiece. I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling it today. But God, again, he says, that's because you're looking at you and not my son. You're looking at you and not the Jesus that covers you. You're looking at your 
filthy rag righteousness and not the righteousness of Christ that's credited to your spiritual bank account through faith in him alone. Faith alone is the key, right? And so he tells us, no matter what you saw in the mirror this morning, I saw a masterpiece. Masterpiece of my grace. That's beautiful, right? It's hopeful. I praise God for it because I know this is no masterpiece when I look in the mirror outside of the grace of God. So lastly, Jesus gives us a call to mission. He saved us by his grace to include us in his mission. Look with me again at the rest of verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Salvation, you guys, is found in those words, we're created in Christ Jesus. And again, like becoming a Christian, it's not about joining a church. It's not about getting religious. It's not about starting to read the Bible and trying hard to be a good person. It's about becoming a new person through believing this gospel. I was dead, but man, Jesus paid it all and I could be forgiven by faith alone. That's awesome. I'm taking you up on that today, Lord. When we do that, we become a new person from the inside out, right? Behold, all things have passed away. Everything has become new. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And that's why when I think back to that guy that I was, I'm like, he's dead. Praise God. That's one person you can be happy that they're dead, right? I'm really happy he's dead and that I am alive and rather Christ is alive through me. He's living through me. It's a beautiful thing, but that's salvation. But he says, why? We're created in Christ for good works. We're not saved by works, are we? But we're saved for good works. Many Christians believe a gospel of grace with their mind, but not with their heart. I know intellectually I'm saved by the grace of God, but emotionally I still believe I'm saved by works. That's why when I don't perform, I think God doesn't love me anymore. That's why when I fail, I think, oh man, it just must have run out now. I have to have hit the bottom of the grace barrel by now. And God's like, no, never, ever, 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 ever are you gonna reach the bottom of that barrel. And when you recognize that, Romans comes true in your mind. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. It doesn't give you a license to keep being an idiot. You're like, man, I'm still accepted. How could I not want to live for you? But it's not just about us getting saved to enjoy that grace, is it? It's us getting saved to spread the grace, to be on mission with Christ, to be his hands and feet to a lost and dying world. Don't you guys want your friends, your relatives, those strangers who are going to hell for an eternity to have their lives changed and saved by Christ? He wants to do it. He wants to get them, but he wants to reach them through our mouths, through our hands, through our lives. And the great news is always that he does all the heavy lifting. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit, not your cleverness, not your knowing every Bible trivia question. God just gives the right grace at the right time. And as we're in community together, growing as the church, discovering our gifts and the place that we feel and just being available to God wherever he has us, jobs, you know, whatever, the barbecue, the beach, God will work if we are available to him. It doesn't matter how weak we are, how dumb we think we are. We are <laughs> our, our potential is only as big as the grace of God working in us. That's pretty big, isn't it? That's amazing. And so he saves us for his mission. And you know, back to the zombie thing, which I know you were eagerly waiting for. 
The worst zombie movie I've ever seen. I watched when I was probably like 12 years old because my dad was nice and all that. Good dad, right? But um, it's about 90 minutes of just absolute carnage and chaos. The human race is getting destroyed. And the whole movie, they're searching for two things. They're looking for an antidote, something to heal them, and they're looking for a way to defend themselves. And after 90 minutes of this, they figure out an antidote, and then they figure out that water kills the zombies. It was a genius plot, wasn't it? You know? And so you come to the end of the movie, and, and there's this, this scene that comes out, and they're in their truck. They're riding to this high school where the zombies are kind of held up, and they've got their super soakers full of water, and they're like, we're going to go take back the world for humanity. And they're going for it, and right at that moment, the credits roll. Isn't that sick? It was like I sat through 90 minutes of flesh eating to not see the human strike back and win. I don't get to see anybody get healed. I don't get to see anything happen. I don't get to see them retaliate at all. And I was pretty disappointed, as you can tell. But the tragic thing, you guys, is that's how the lives of many Christians are in a lot of ways. We're part of this race of spiritually undead people. God brings Jesus to us through the gospel. He brings the cure. We get healed. We get equipped with the gospel and the power of the spirit. And for all practical purposes, it's like from that point on, the credits just rolled. We just kind of say, thanks, Jesus. I'm so happy to get out of hell free and I'll see you at the rapture. And we don't, the world never gets to see us engage in the battle. And because of that, we never get to see what it's like to be stretched and see God come through by his power and see his gospel go to work in the lives of us. You're like, that person is never going to get saved. I was a person that people looked at and said, never, never going to get saved. And I'm just so glad that God is greater than my heart and that somebody at the cost of their comfort zone and convenience They grew up spiritually in a church somewhere enough that they could be equipped to come and share Christ with me so that God could save me from hell and a life without God, which is no life at all. Amen to that? And so you guys, be the hands and feet of Christ in this world. Acts 17 tells us that God has determined the boundaries of our habitation and the times and seasons that we are alive in. You know what that means? God... It was a purpose that you are here right now, today, where you are. And life is short. It doesn't matter if you're five years old or 105 years old. Life is short. We have a short time to make sure our lives count for what they should count for. Fulfill the purpose for which we are created to love God and to be loved by Him, to know Him and to make Him known. You guys going to join in that mission reliance? You're going to join in that mission. He invites you to it, and he gives you all that you need to be successful in it. Don't punk out in the last days. God is going to, he wants to rock this city, this place, through you, and you get the privilege of being involved. So let's not skip out on it, amen? And I want to just say as we, we close here, if you haven't trusted in Christ I don't care what kind of life you think you have. You don't have anything if you don't have Jesus. And he's here. We're not talking about him from afar. He's here. He's probably been speaking to your heart, telling you, you know that you haven't experienced that kind of change. You've been in church for years, cultural Christian, but today's your day to have a new life, for it to sink in. 
And all you need to do is say, Jesus, you're right. I am a sinner, man, and I need your forgiveness, and I need you to change me here today, and he's going to do it.